What a great experience. So if you guys would grab a seat, that would be super. Um, I think you guys uh, probably know this. Thanks, Net. I appreciate that. Um, but this, there's a team of people that get together uh, every week because they have a passion for helping us come to the feet of Jesus every Sunday morning for a few minutes. Isn't that a cool, cool thing? And worship is an amazing, worship and song is an amazing thing. You may not know every song, I may not know every song, you may not like every song, I may not like every song, but you know what? It comes from a heart. The people that pick those and think through those comes from a heart of wanting to help us experience Jesus Christ in a fresh and new and exciting way. Celebrate all that God has done with us through the week here on Sunday morning together. That's a cool, cool thing, right? There's another piece of worship that's happening right now, and I know some of you are freaked out because it's junior high boys, and you're like, oh my gosh, there's junior high boys. Well, now they're freaked out because I just mentioned them, right? So we're all freaked out together. But uh, these books that are coming by, if you're new to North Point, if this is your first week with us, thanks so much for being here. We'd love it if you put your name in there and just some contact info. I promise we're not going to be too in- intrusive or invasive on you. Send you a little letter telling you more about who we are and, and someone will make a little phone call to you this week if, um, if you give us your phone number just to see if you have any questions we can answer or anything you want to know about North Point. And that's it. I promise nothing overly weird. If you've been part of North Point for a while, we love if you'd also just put your name on there. If any of your contact info has changed, put that on there. We'll make sure that gets in our database so that you're getting everything we're trying to communicate to you. You're not feeling out of the loop or lost. Um, And also, it's really helpful, and and believe it or not, it's kind of an act of worship, that if you put your name on there, new people won't feel so awkward about putting their name on there. We've all been at that church, right, where we make new people do weird stuff. And it's really awkward and uncomfortable. And so whatever we can do to, to uh, eliminate that, that's fantastic. Another piece of worship is happening again right now as I speak. This is real cool. We've got some buckets coming by collecting this morning's offering. Again, I know they're junior high boys, but they're our ushers today. And they're doing a phenomenal job, right? Yeah. What's... um. What's real cool about that is this, this a uh, couple weeks ago, uh, junior high boys, well, all, all of our small groups in student life uh, were uh, talking about the concepts of serving and how to do that, and the junior high boys were like, well, I could pass out buckets. And so uh, their leaders were like, yeah, that's, that's genius. Let's make that happen. And so anyways, trying to figure out how we just serve and love each other and worship together. Very, very cool thing. So appreciate um, that. Uh, I've been in um, whatever we call this, like perf- professional paid ministry or whatever we call this pastoral thing. I've been in that for a couple of decades, 20-something years, and I was thinking back this week over my first 10 years. My first 10 years in in this paid ministry thing uh, was what we call bivocational. It's a very cool word. It sounds really, really cool, like bivocational. Uh, Matter of fact, if you've met Jake Howard, our our new youth pastor, that's what he's been doing for the last number of years. He's been working bivocational. Bivocational is this really neat word that means uh, you do ministry full-time, you get paid part-time or less, so you have to have other jobs to make ends meet. Bivocational. It's really cool, right? So I was thinking about my first 10 years, and I was thinking, man, that was bivocational. And I was thinking about, um, for whatever reason, pastors end up getting strange bivocational jobs. I don't know if it's a skill set or lack thereof, or I don't know what it is, but we just ended up getting some of the weirdest jobs, and I've had some of the strangest jobs. I remember one job I had, I sold strawberries on a street corner. If you sell anything on a street corner, 
you're bound to have some interesting stories, right? I'd show up at this place in the morning, I'd fill my truck with these baskets of berries, and I'd literally sit out there all day long. It's in California, big strawberry production area, and uh, sit out there all day long uh, selling these strawberries. And uh, in California, it's warm all year. I don't know if you know this or not. It's really weird. They don't have winter. Um, And so it would get warmer and hotter, and those berries would do what berries do is they get a little warm and a little hot. And I learned some stuff in that job. Uh, I learned that I don't want to be a strawberry salesman forever. Um, I also learned, I don't know how to say this, um, how to put the good-looking berries on the top. Okay, so that you learn that, and because uh, you don't want to go back at the end of the day with a bunch of uh, berries, you also learn how it goes from $10 to $8 to $3, you know, 30 minutes before you leave. So uh, strange, strange job sitting on a street corner. Got lots of studying done, wrote lots of talks and stuff. It was a really cool job. Another strange job I had um, uh, for a while, uh, a friend came up to me. He was a, uh, um, like, he edited movies for uh, cable channels. So it was Bank of Cable Channels. He edited these movies for time and content. And so he said, Hey, do you want to uh, help me with that? And I said, No. <laughs> and he said, I'll pay you $20 to watch a movie. And I said, I'm in. This is my chosen career field, right? 20 bucks to watch a movie. This is great. What it turned out to be, and this is back in the day of VHS tapes, and I, I apologize if you don't know what that is, but you remember that? Some of you guys remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, VHS tapes. He would uh, give me a stack of VHS tapes, and I would watch that full movie, and my entire job, they called me a second movie editor, which sounds real cool, but my entire job was to watch those movies, and there's a little running time signature at the bottom, and every time a cuss word happened, I wrote down the word, the amount of times it happened, and at what time signatures. What a strange job. And I got paid 20 bucks, and I delivered the movie back to him with this piece of paper with all these cuss words written on it. Now, nothing is weirder than when you invite some of your students' parents over for dinner, and you have your sheet sitting on your desk for your job with all the, you see where that could lead to some interesting stories. I didn't do that job very long, uh, but another weird job I had was um, a pest control operator. Which means I worked for a company called Hydrex Pest Control. I'd go out and spray death chemical at bugs. It was kind of cool, actually. The job was kind of fun. You got all these cool tools. Uh, I learned more about chemical and death than I ever cared to know, right? It was kind of fun. The strange part came in the customers you meet, like the people. See, the way it worked is they would call and make an appointment for me to show up and spray their house. We're together on this, right? The weird part was like some of the things that some of the women would wear when they answer the door. I'm like, oh, was my appointment not today at 10 or was it today at 10? I'm so confused. No, come on in. Uh, 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 Some of the accounts, I'd go to the house and the instructions on the card were uh, key is under the mat. So they're not home. This is a pretty affluent area of California that I was working in. And so the key is under the mat and you'd go inside and you'd be surprised the number of illegal substances that are left out on tables when you're walking into this house. And I'm like, ah. It was just a really, really strange job that I had that I kind of liked and kind of hated at the same time. Now, my guess is that you've had some pretty strange jobs too, right? Tell me what they were. Say it louder. (laughs) Telemarketing. Nothing builds strength of character like getting hung up on and said no to 7,000 times a day, Right? That's fantastic. What else? Cable man? Like putting electrical cables together on a pole and stuff? Television cables in people's houses. You got some interesting people too, right? 
<laughs> he's done if you can hear me. He goes, <laughs> in the back. Uh-huh. What else? A waitress or a waiter. Man, that, you got to have some great stories, right? Like, I'd love to. I'd love to swap stories with you at some point. People are fun sometimes, especially when they're in that role of you, like, supposed to be serving them. People get people, get people right? Anything else? Teacher. teacher. I heard, like, a couple teachers over here. I don't know what to do or where to go with that, so I'm just going to say, I, amen. What did I hear? Horse stall cleaner? You win. You win for maybe worst job I've ever heard of. I don't know. Like you're just shoveling. Yeah, okay. Well, I heard something over here. EMT. That's got to be a tough job. High stress, life and death, and what that does to you. And some weird, she says, and some weird people out there, though. Some weird people. We've got some strange jobs. We've all had some strange jobs. And my guess is that with those strange jobs, have come some strange bosses, right? Matter of fact, some of those bosses were probably great, like just phenomenal bosses. But my hunch is that you've probably also had some terrible bosses too. As a matter of fact, if you're sitting in here this morning and you're a boss, we're just going to guess that you're all wonderful and great. If you're a boss and you're in here this morning, you're phenomenal, you're on the great side. We've all had bosses. So why are we talking about all this? Why are we talking about jobs and bosses and employers and employees in, in a series uh, uh, that we're calling the S series, a series on submission? See, we're in the middle of this series called the S word. We know the S stands for submission. The, the Bible seems to have some things to say to us about areas of life where we're called to submit. Matter of fact, uh, submission, we might define it something like this. A willing choice to place oneself under the authority of another. And you do that not just when you agree with them. Because if you submit when you agree with the person, it's really not submission, it's agreement, right? But when you don't agree and you place yourself under the authority of someone else, that's that concept of submission. If we were to define it in one word, we might use the word obey. Ugh. Right? I mean, it's funny because if I say the word obey, normally kids and students are like, yeah, I know. I, get it. I hear it three times a day. Obey me or die. Right? But as adults, we're like, I'm an adult. Don't tell, don't tell me what to do. I'll, I'll define my own. Who, who are you to? Submission, this concept of obedience, willingly placing ourselves under the authority of someone else. Uh, uh, submission is hard for us. Now, maybe not all of us. Maybe there's a couple of us in here, or I should say a couple of you in here, that have no problem with submission. It's in your wheelhouse. It's super easy. And I say, you know what? God bless you. That's a great thing. For me and anybody that's like me, submission is tough. Submission is a hard thing. Like, especially in our culture, the American culture that is based on rugged individualism, setting my own course, pulling myself up by my own bootstraps and moving forward, like, that's celebrated in our culture. And so submission is a word that just hits us wrong. Like, I don't like it. I don't even know if I want to do it, let alone like the word. And then over the course of history, submission has been used as a word in so many different areas of life, and it's got such negative baggage and connotation to it that it makes us struggle even more. In our culture, submission is just not uh, natural. And so as a Christ follower, we hear this concept of submission and it makes us churn in our stomach and we go, I don't know. 
I was talking with my life group last week, and we kind of posed the question in our group, if we were having this conversation, this sermon series on submission in a different culture, would the conversation be different? Would it be easier? And we started talking about uh, maybe some Asian cultures where submission and the honor, uh, respect thing is a little different than ours. And we were wondering if it would just be somewhat different conversation because it's so much more rooted in that culture, whereas in ours, it's kind of not. And so submission, this concept of obedience, is a difficult, difficult thing for us. And the challenge with that is our ability to submit, our level of submission, really stems from our ability to submit to Jesus Christ and our level of ability to submit to Jesus Christ. See, when we talk about submitting, and we've talked about uh, uh, church leaders, submission to church leaders, we've talked about submission to government. Today we're going to talk about uh, another element of submission. We'll talk about it for a couple of uh, more weeks. It's really not about those people or those positions. It's really all about my ability to submit myself to Jesus Christ. And that is hard for me. Because I, in my head I say, and verbally I can say, I know God's got it under control. I know God is big enough to handle this situation. I know God is in my corner. I know that I serve the God of angel armies. I sing that loud this morning. And then when somebody, an authority in my life, is asking for submission, why do I struggle so much with it? Because I think at the end of the day, I struggle in my submission to Jesus Christ. All of our areas of submission have less to do with that area and more to do with our ability to submit to God. Why are we talking about bosses, employers, employees, all that this morning? Because the level of submission, the area, arena of submission we want to talk about today, and you're going to love this so much, is in the area of your employer. (laughs) I don't know what that meant. Uh, Yay! Right? We want to talk about this concept. The Bible seems to be so clear about this area of submission in the area of employment to our boss. Some verses we'll put up on the screen, make three or four points. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to start. It will come up on the screen, but if you have a Bible, it would be great if you looked that up, because we're going to see a couple of things in here that that I think are going to mess with your brain a little bit. I really want you to see it and mark it if you've got your own Bible, if you're using a pewback Bible, that's great. Ephesians chapter 6. If you keep your finger there as we ping to other verses today, I think that will be helpful. But that's where we want to start in what um, God has to say through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6. We'll start in verse 5. It says this. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters. We have to stop there. We can't let that go without making some kind of comment on that. Because when we read that word in the Bible, slaves obey, we're immediately struck by our history in our country. And and some of our, maybe our atheist friends or our friends who don't hold to the authority of Scripture or want to pick at the Bible, they want to say things like, see, the Bible condones slavery. The Bible says that it's okay. And I just need to make the point this morning that in no way does the Bible ever condone slavery. No way ever does the Bible say that slavery is okay or that it's a positive thing. The Bible does not condone slavery. And yet the Bible does talk about a reality that existed at the time that it was written. And there's some differences, some facts that I think are important to understand about this concept of slavery in the New Testament, in the time that this was written, when when Jesus walked the planet, when the guys were writing these these letters that have become the books of our Bible, there are some things, some facts that help us understand that a little bit. Number one, slavery in the Bible, slavery in this time was not based on race, ethnicity, nor gender. 
It wasn't aimed at a, at a certain kind of people, a certain type of people, or a certain gender of people. There were some ways that you became a slave. Uh, maybe you were captured in war, but more than likely you defaulted on a debt that had been incurred. Or maybe you were born to parents who were slaves. Or maybe you were convicted of a crime. Or maybe you volunteered, which sounds really bizarre to us, but, um, but there was, a, there was uh, situations that would arise where volunteering to be a slave it meant that you had uh, consistent food and a place to live and these kinds of things. And so you would volunteer for that, that um, situation because the alternatives were much worse. Third, third important fact here, freedom was possible and not all that uncommon. A slave could do some work and actually uh, earn enough money to purchase their own freedom. Or family members or friends could purchase their freedom. Uh, very often, uh, the master in his will would will the slave to be freed when he died. And so that, that slave could be set free. So it wasn't all that uncommon for slaves to be freed. When you read some of the um, chapters in the book of Acts, you'll read about a group of people called the freedmen. It's exactly what it sounds like. It is this group of people that had once been slaves and somehow uh, were freed, either on their own accord or because of somebody else's help. Fourth thing to understand, 20 to 30% of the population were slaves. It wasn't uncommon. Fifth thing is that they were treated typically well, oftentimes better than non-slaves. Uh, again, they had a guaranteed home, a guaranteed food, a guaranteed job, and they were treated uh, well because of the situation at the time. The, the, they, there was value in these uh, workers, and so they were treated typically uh, well. Uh, many, number six, many or most were what we'd call domestic servants or house servants. You, you might see words like servant in the Bible or sometimes bond servant. We're reading from the ESV. My version of ESV says slave. You might have one that uses the word bond servant. It's this idea of a house servant. We might use a phrase like butler or maid, and that's much more akin to what that situation was. Number seven, the seventh thing to understand, the, the Greek word that we translate slave is literally the word doulos which was picked up as the favorite term of some of the New Testament writers for their relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if slavery in the New Testament times was, was based on a situation of abuse, neglect, uh, violence, then, then they would be saying, I'm a slave to Jesus, meaning I'm in an abusive relationship, violent relationship, um, and, and, and derogatory relationship. That's obviously not what they were saying. They were saying, I'm a slave to Jesus, meaning I willingly submit myself to his will because I know he knows what's best for me. It was a word picked up to talk about a relationship with Jesus, to be a slave of Jesus. Some facts. Let me just make three points and we'll move on from this concept. Number one, don't skew servant slavery in the first century church in Jesus' day in the time that this Bible was written with the horrendous slavery in United States history. They are two very different concepts. And I think it's just important to understand that. I would love to talk about that more. So if you have interest and you want to dialogue that, call me, email me, let's talk about that more. But for this morning, if I could just put that out there, that they are two very different concepts. So when we read slave in the Bible, it is a very different concept than what happened in U.S. history. Second thing to understand is that slaves and servants in the first century were no, mis, uh, no more mistreated than some employees today. You may feel like your boss treats you poor, and I'm sure that there were some slaves in the New Testament times who had terrible masters and felt like they were treated poor. And yet some of us have great bosses and feel like we're treated well, and there were many servant slaves in the first century that felt like they were treated very well, kind of like employees, employers. Third thing, probably most important thing to understand, the Bible does not condone slavery. Not in the first century, not with what happened in U.S. history or what's happening in a lot of countries around the world today. 
Nowhere does the Bible ever condone slavery or say that it's okay. But the Bible does talk about a reality that existed at the time. So what do we do with that? We read a verse like, uh, 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 slaves obey, and we think, well, that that's doesn't got anything to say to me because I'm not a slave and I'm not a master. It's this word we call contextualization. We take what the Bible says, and very often we want to figure out, are there principles that apply to a situation that I'm in? So if we don't exist so much in our country with this slave-master relationship, but what is the closest relationship that we have that would make some sense that there's some principles that it would speak to? And I don't think it's a hard stretch to say this sounds a lot like the employer-employee relationship. Are you with me? Are we tracking together on this? This makes some sense, right? Boss to worker, manager to managed? I don't know, managee, something like that. That makes some sense, and that's a context that probably 99% of us in here can relate to, if not all of us, right? This idea of bosses and employers. So that's where we want to come from this morning, back to Ephesians chapter 6. I apologize, we'll move much more quicker than two words at a time. Um, and, and we want to just look at what does God have to say to us in terms of this idea of submitting to an employer or to a boss. Ephesians chapter 6, again, starting in verse 5, it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Simply put, it seems like Paul is saying here, God is saying here, uh, hey, employees, you need to respect and submit and obey your bosses. You got to respect and obey your bosses. Matter of fact, the word in the text there for fear and trembling is not a word that means like cower in fear. It doesn't mean to be afraid and scared. It means to have a healthy sense of respect. This word crops up again in the scriptures in relationship from uh, uh, kids to, to dads. It doesn't mean that they're supposed to have some kind of cowering fear of their fathers, but there should be a sense of healthy respect. It's a word that's used of our relationship in Proverbs, our relationship with God. That we should, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It doesn't mean that we're afraid of God, like he's going to squash us at some point. But it certainly means that we have this sense of a healthy respect for God. So it starts with this, this idea that employees respect and obey your bosses. And not just because you should respect and obey your bosses, but because it says, you know, do it as if you're working for Jesus. Because frankly, you are. At the end of the day, that's who you're employed by. That's who you're working for. That's who you're thinking about. That's how your attitude should be, is as if you were working for Jesus. That's not kind of rocket science. I think we get that. We kind of expect to hear that in a series on submission to employers, right? This idea that, that it seems that we're called to respect and obey our bosses. Keep your finger there. We're going to jump to 1 Timothy chapter 6. It'll come up on the screen. Here's how Timothy, God inspired Timothy to write this, instructions on this concept. He says, Let all who are under a yoke of slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the grounds that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. It kind of repeats that concept again of, of, of respecting and obeying your bosses. But then he adds this, this piece of the puzzle to it, uh, not, not just to respect, but, but also don't take advantage of your bosses if your bosses are Christians. 
This is kind of a new concept in this New Testament church world. You had, you had these bosses and these employees coming to, to church together on Sunday mornings or eating together during the week, and they're trying to figure out how all this works as they're worshiping together and they're, they're loving Jesus together and figuring out what that looks like. And, and then they go back to work on, say, Monday or whatever, and you've got a, a Christian boss and a Christian employee, and, and, and sometimes that Christian employee thinks, well, sweet, they're kind of in the same club here. Show up a little late. Oh, hey, come on. Come on, Bob. Don't, don't sweat it. My devotionals just ran long. Right? Leave a little early. You know, I'm leaving early today. The boss is like, oh, hey, I really need this done. No, no, I got like a Jesus thing or whatever you say. Right? Your work becomes a little sloppy because you're just like, hey, he won't mind. Like, we both go to church together. We're on the same page. We both love Jesus. He's just got to forgive me and sort of give me a pass and grace and whatever. So there was this situation beginning to brew that God through Timothy, Timothy through God, says this concept of don't take advantage of your employer just because you guys are both Christ followers. As a matter of fact, you ought to be working like all the better because at the end of the day, like you're working for a greater good. You guys are on the same page. You move in the same direction. You're working for the greater good. Like you, you ought to be even better if that could be possible. Two concepts, we said the idea of uh, obey and respect, this idea of not taking advantage of your boss because he's a Christ follower. And, and then Peter adds kind of a third thought. In First Peter chapter 2, this is what he says, just adding and rounding out this concept here. He says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but to, uh, also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows, while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you're beaten for it and endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow him in his steps. Did you, did you get what he said? It's kind of not comfortable. See, see, up till now, we've expected everything. Like, we expect to be told, ah, we should respect and obey our bosses. Yeah, I understand that. And we're told, hey, just because they're a Christian and you're a Christian, like, don't take advantage of them. You go, yeah, I totally understand. That makes some sense. I get that. And then Peter comes along through God's inspiration and says, yeah, you know what? And don't just do it when they treat you fair, but when they treat you unfair, too. And I go, uh, no. No, they're going to understand that they're wrong. And I'm going to point out how unjust and unfair. And I'm a, I'm a grown man crying out loud. Don't treat me like that. You can't speak to me that way. That's, that's where I start, right? And yet, and yet God through Peter says, no, you know what? Uh, not only when you feel like they're treating you unfair, but when they actually are treating you unjust, like that's when, that's when submission comes. What? So when the boss tells you, hey, clean the toilets. And you're like, that's not my job. I'm not doing that. It's not fair, probably. Some, don't we pay somebody else to do that? Isn't there a kid or something? I don't know, you know, isn't there someone else? Right? And, and not only when the boss, you know, asks you nicely, hey, would you mind? There's a mess. Can you, would you be okay? I know it's not your job. Would, would you? Like, that's easy for us to submit under that. But when he actually or she actually says, hey, clean the toilets, Peter's like, that's when you submit. And Peter doesn't say, like, just do it because it's a good thing. He says this really interesting thing that is hard to wrap our heads around. He says, because when you do that, it's, 
probably the time where you most identify with Jesus Christ. You talk about somebody who was treated unfair and unjust. Like Jesus was treated unfair and unjust, right? And so when I'm treated unfair and unjust by my employer and I'm able to submit, it's like at that moment, like I get it just a little bit. Like I can taste Jesus just a little bit. Like for a moment, I can kind of identify with what he went through as he lived on the planet and died for my sins, treated so unjustly and so unfairly. Like for a moment in a small way, I'm like, oh, (laughs) I kind of get it. Peter says, not only when you're treated fairly do you submit, but when you're treated unjust and unfair because in those moments, man, you identify with Christ in a way that's just amazing. So we get this kind of concept, respect, obey, don't take advantage of them because they're Christ followers, do it even when you're not treated fairly, and we think, okay, I get that, and the original hearers probably thought, uh, okay, I can get that, I see where that's coming from, I, I guess that makes some sense to me, and, and I'm sort of picturing us, like, uh, picturing them in a room, if it was one person speaking to them, this stuff, and, 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 and like the bosses are in part of the room going, yeah, 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 listen, you know, elbowing them or whatever. And then, and then something kind of interesting happens. We're back in Ephesians chapter 6 because I left out a verse intentionally. I, I wanted you to see this because I think at this point it's where the entire scheme changes. Everything that's kind of been said we sort of expect. And it sort of makes sense. We may not like it. It causes some churn in our stomach, but it makes some sense. And if we're in a room, bosses would be agreeing and employees would be like, yeah, okay. But then something said that sort of changes the game and it changes the field. In Ephesians 6, we, we, we read that in the beginning. The slaves obey your earthly masters, the respect them, honor them because really you're working for, for Jesus. And we get down to verse 9 and it says this. Masters, do the same to them. The whole dynamic just changed. So like if we were to think of the original context, talking to slaves who have masters, it makes sense that slaves obey masters and treat them with respect and honor them and all those kinds of things. And then it's like, it's like the table changes. It goes, and you know what, masters? Do the same to them. And I got a picture of like the bosses in that room going, wait, what? I got Paul finishes. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no partiality with him. This, this sense of do the same to them, literally it could be translated, treat them the same way you would want to be treated. And he goes on to say, not harshly, because you share the same master. At the end of the day, Jesus is your master and their master. And, and if you want Jesus to treat you the way you treat your employee, boy, better treat that employee well, Right? We're together, right? It's interesting because I don't know of any other holy book or religious institution or philosophical um, concept that makes this change. In, in every other way of thinking, philosophy, religion, whatever, any other way of thinking, it makes sense that there's an authority figure and someone under authority and the one under authority gives all the honor to the one in authority. This makes sense. And yet, God, the Bible, like turns that upside down. And says, and at the same time, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna do the same to them. This concept we call mutual submission. 
And, and the concept of mutual submission is going to be huge over the next two weeks where Rick uh, goes in this series of submission. I, I so badly want to tell you the next two concepts because I'm so excited that Rick's doing those. And, um, and it's huge to understand this concept of mutual submission because it makes sense to us that there's an authority and an under-authority and that relationship makes sense. But when it gets turned on its head, that there is some sense where we're, there's, there's a submission on both sides. And in this case, with employer and employee, it says employer, treat those employees the same way with respect and, and honor and dignity and all, all, all that kind of stuff. Because at the end of the day, you both serve the same master. So... A summary, what did we say? I threw a couple boxes on the screen just to, to put it there. To employees, it says this, submit to bosses, submit to them, right? Just like you're submitting to Jesus. It says don't take advantage of a boss just because they're a Christ follower. It says not only when you think it's fair, but do it uh, when it's unfair because that's when you identify with Jesus the most. And they turn to bosses and they say, submit to employees. In other words, treat them the way that you'd want to be treated. Mutual submission. He says, don't take advantage of them just because they're a Christian. And he says, don't be, be harsh with them. No, no need to be harsh with them because we share the same boss. <clears throat> but what if? But what if? What if the boss asks me to do something that's illegal or immoral or something that's against God's law? I think it makes sense that you're called, I'm called to submit to a boss as long as that person is my boss. And in our country, we have a great freedom that we can quit a job. So if we're ever asked to do something that violates God's law or government law, or maybe I have a personal moral ethical code based on my relationship with Jesus, if we're asked to violate those things, like we have every right on the planet to say, hey, Thank you for the time that I've had here. I appreciate it, but I can't do that. And, and therefore, I've got to tender my two weeks resignation. We have that right. What, we, what I don't think we have the right to do is stay in a job and refuse to submit to a boss. I think we have a right to leave a job. We have a right to have a conversation, to say, hey, I'm not going to do that, to explain it. We have all those rights as well. But at the end of the day, if it comes down to it, if we do the but what if I'm asked to, we have some abilities and we have some rights. It doesn't, though, negate our fact of being submissive to a boss with those small exclusions of breaking God's law or government's law. And I'll just say this on that. Like, be absolutely clear that you're being asked to break God's law or the government's law. Because more often than not, I'm simply being asked to do something I don't like, I don't want to do, or frankly, I feel too good to do. And then I'm like, oh, God wouldn't want me to do that. I'm going to get a piece of my mind. And maybe God absolutely wants me to do that because he knows I have a submission problem and so I need to have a boss in my life that forces me to submit in ways that aren't uncomfortable because at the end of the day, it's all about submitting to Jesus. And that's the bigger goal and the better good. Here's what I love about what we just talked about for the last few minutes. You get to go out and practice this tomorrow. That's fantastic. See, sometimes uh, right over here in the first few pews during first service, we have a lot of teenagers that sit there, and I look at them because, you know, because I look at them. And, um, and, and sometimes I think we talk about marriage, we talk about this, we talk about some things that's down the road a little bit, and I think, yeah, that's cool. They're putting that kind of in their pocket for later. But this is cool because this topic is not a topic for later. It's not something we put into a box and deal with when it comes up. Like, this is coming tomorrow, or for some of you, like in a couple hours, you're going to go to work today. 
I said that in first service, and a couple of uh, older folks came up to me and said, I'm retired. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, fair enough. I'm with you. I get it. But for the vast majority of us, this is coming tomorrow, and what I know is that Satan loves to sideline us. Satan loves to put us in positions to speak into our ears in little subtle ways to say, ah, that submission stuff. It doesn't, that, oh, that boss just has it out for, you really don't need to. Did God really say, that sounds a little bit familiar. And I know that Satan loves to steal our joy and loves to steal our intimacy with Jesus and wants to get us into a position where we're just angry and frustrated and do all the things that keep us as far from the love of Christ as possible. And so I say, we are leaving here in another minute, and we are going to go out, and we are going to have a chance to practice this tomorrow, and Satan is going to try to steal that. Whether you're a boss or an employee, the last thing he wants is us to live in ways that just are healthy for us and pleasing to Jesus. And so I love talking about this today because it's a here and now. We get to deal with this as soon as we pray and head out of here. Maybe you get a few hours reprieve, but we're putting this into practice as soon as we leave. Let me read what I wrote at the end, and then we'll pray. This is what I said. So the first Christians, the early church, were mainly employees. And the way they submitted to their bosses changed the culture, the community, and the world. Ultimately, submission to a boss or church leaders or government really equals trust in Jesus. I believe they changed the world because of the way they submitted to bosses. I believe we can change the world in our communities and our families and our cultures just in the way that we submit to bosses. Not because of their bosses, because it really is a reflection of our submission to Jesus Christ. Amen? Let me pray and we'll take off. Jesus, thanks for today. Thanks for opportunity just to think together, to sing together, uh, to talk together, to drink some coffee together, and, and just to try to figure out what this looks like. And God, I, I, you, you know my heart. It, you know my heart. Submission is tough for me, and I think it's tough for lots of us. And so thank you for opportunities, as much as I don't enjoy them, to, to, to be pushed and to be... Um, Uh, I don't know, just sharpened a bit in this area. Not just because of bosses or government or church leaders, but because ultimately it impacts my ability to submit to you. Submission to you, man, just equals a much, much better life. And so Jesus, thank you for it. Even as we think about this together and we leave here and we process this in our families or with sermon-based questions in life groups or wherever we land, God, I just pray that the conversation constantly wraps back to your word. And even the things that we might struggle with and trying to figure out the specifics of what about this situation, what about that situation, situation and I don't know but Jesus you know and you have a greater plan for us and so as we process those questions with others God I just pray that you're honored in that and you're pleased in our in our in our thinking of how to live in ways that just make you happy that's just for our best interest God for this week as we head out of here and get to put this in practice I pray you would help us and somehow in it it glorifies and honors you gives us the ability to talk about our great love for you and your much greater love for us Jesus, thank you for this morning. Pray for an awesome week for all of us. I love you so much. Amen.